0: And you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash slash film.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, September 21st, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. The Slash Film editor in chief, Peter Soretta, And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And senior writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? So the last couple months we've been recording on a new platform. It is called ZenCaster. We used to record on Skype. Uh, there's some quirks, e- even though like the quality on these recordings are a lot better. There are some quirks. We've had some problems with uh, Brad's recordings in particular. Not to call Brad out, but uh, some reason some sometimes like his recording gets delayed, and then like we have to like re-record, like re-edit the entire podcast so that when he's responding to people he's actually responding in the areas he isn't or that he should be responding if that makes sense uh but last week we had an episode that went out and uh it was a little out of sync so i want to apologize we're we're trying we're trying to fix these th- these issues it's happening less and less we're we're getting better at it but uh no you're not crazy no uh brad isn't being rude and cutting everybody off during the middle of them speaking not this <laughs> time is. anyway yeah yeah okay (laughs) let's get to the news um last night was the the emmy awards i didn't watch it uh ben i don't think you watched it Uh, but brad you are the weekend
2: editor so you
1: you you got paid to watch it
2: oh yes i was so lucky to get paid to watch it (laughs) Well,
1: well tell me this before we get into the winners and losers i you know i didn't watch the award ceremony at all but i i saw this like this image going around on my Twitter feed of like this like hazmat tux suit uh, tuxedo suit to like award winners like is is that a real thing?
2: Yeah, so the, basically what um how the ceremony worked is that Jimmy Kimmel was in the Staples Center the empty Staples Center uh, <laughs> as, as host um, and they they did some funny bit, bits with that um, where they pretended that the audience was there but they cut to footage from the previous Emmy ceremonies and then they revealed that. It was empty around him and did some fun bits with cardboard cutouts and Jason Bateman. But the the way the awards were handed out themselves is uh, a, a lot of most of the nominees were um, seen on screen in a big background screen via webcast. They had over a 100 different live streams from various nominees and uh, presenters houses um, so that they were watching the show. And ready to be on if they, if they won or for, uh, you know, various comedy bits that they did throughout the night. And so then the, the way the awards were brought to the people who actually won is they had people in these big black hazmat suits that were <laughs> that were driven around in sponsored Kias. They had a big commercial for that. And then the awards were like given to them by the person in, in the hazmat suit at their their residences.
1: Wait, so did they have people in these Kias waiting outside all one hundred of these nominees, like just you know, for the the show so that like the people that were nominated that weren't winning like th- thought that thought there might be a chance that there might be a statue outside so, their house?
2: So I don't think so, but there was a video that was going around those that, that made it seem like some people had Emmys like waiting around outside in case they won. but that but uh, Rami Youssef, who stars in uh, the show uh, Rami didn't win and he had a video that he posted on twitter um where the the person in the hazmat suit was standing outside with the emmy and then when he didn't win he just waved by and left <laughs> <laughs> so i i don't know if that's how it worked for for everybody if there was someone like with an emmy stationed outside of all the houses and then a bunch of people just got to watch the emmy leave or or what but
1: i feel like with all these award shows like they keep the winners under wraps like they have like that um What's that company that is usually in charge of like the Academy Awards? That like th- uh, then we have Price like Waterhouse
0: a- Cooper or something, right? Yeah, yeah, I feel
1: like you wouldn't tell all these people. Like you would have to have people in vans ready to give the awards, just so that hundreds of people didn't know who the winners were and who. The winners weren't ahead of time right
2: yeah like i'm sure that they yeah if, if they did the, the advance it was probably at, like at, at all of the nominees in advance but maybe not for all of the categories so yeah. yeah i don't know it was it was a weird situation but the the ceremony itself you know it was it was fun for what it was they did some interesting things you know with the format and like they they would um they had some pre-recorded things that they they featured and they would check in with certain people via via webcam like there was a fun thing where Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington and the Little Fires Everywhere um, producers were having like their own backyard kind of party at tables and stuff. And they were pretending to celebrate New Year's Eve, like just putting 2020 in the past and (laughs) celebrating that it was 2021. Um, And then uh, the craziest thing that happened during the ceremony was so for some reason, for the first award of the night, even though fires are raging all across California, someone thought it would be a good idea to douse one of the awards envelopes and disinfect it and then light it on fire just to make sure it was germ-free. And then they took the winner out of the envelope that burned around it. And so Jimmy Kimmel and Jennifer Aniston did this on the st- on stage in the Staples Center. And they set the thing on fire in a wastebasket with other like paper kindling so they would burn properly. But then after they were able to d- put the fire out with a fire extinguisher, which Jennifer Aniston did – uh, the the rem- remnants of what was left in the wastebasket caught fire again, and the flame got pretty big. And you heard the, the, one of the crew members on set; they shouted, to "Jennifer, she's like, put it out!" And she was, and she, and she was like, "Oh shit!" And she like, she like had to spray the fire down. So like, the whole Emmy ceremony literally almost went up in flames.
1: By the way, I love that this podcast is just Brad recounting him watching the Emmys. <laughs> the two people that didn't care to watch it, uh, I guess. Brad, t- tell us who. Were the big winners? Uh,
2: so Shit's Creek was by far the biggest winner of the evening. Um, for the first time ever, uh, it swept all of the major comedy categories that were presented during the primetime Emmys, uh, from directing and writing to all four of the acting categories, lead and supporting, and best comedy series. Um, and this was huge because Shit's Creek uh, didn't really have much of an Emmy presence before, and but it's its final season. Like everyone was raving about it. Uh, And so it came away and really, uh, you know, just surprised everyone by taking home uh, that many awards. It was it was pretty big. And uh, creator uh, Daniel Levy, who's Eugene Levy's son, was just ecstatic throughout it all. And watching him react to all the wins was uh, was really charming. Who
1: are like the big
2: losers this year? Uh, Well, so before I do that, I will say that on the drama side, Succession was another big winner. Um, HBO really was a huge winner overall because Watchmen also won. Uh, Some key categories, including Best Limited Series, Succession Took Home Best Drama. Um, As far as the losers, uh, because Succession did so well, uh, Better Call Saul uh, didn't come away with anything. Uh, Ozark only came away with one award for Julia Garner. Um, And really, the streaming services overall were kind of the biggest losers because HBO uh, dominated the hell out of the Emmys. And then um, since Stitch Creek dominated the comedy category, uh, Pop TV or Pop, whatever the channel is called, uh, was big over there. So Hulu, Netflix, Apple TV Plus, they were kind of uh, left out in the wind and they didn't win very much.
1: Okay, let's let's move on from the Emmys, because I'm sure a lot of people out there don't even care about the award shows. Uh, Let's talk about Marvel, which a lot of people care about. Everybody cares about Marvel. Uh, They have announced that they're making a Miss Marvel TV series, and we now know Uh, who the directors are going to be. Ben, tell us about it.
0: Yeah, at least some of the directors. I'm not sure if there are any more yet to be hired, but uh, Marvel has announced, or or, uh, through the Heat Vision blog and the Hollywood Reporter, uh, word came out that several directors have been hired to direct this Ms. Marvel series on Disney+. Plus. So among them are Adil El Arby and Bilal Fala, who are the two directors who made uh, Bad Boys for Life earlier this year, which by the way, I just looked and to confirm this, which is the uh, Bad Boys for Life is still the highest grossing movie of 2020, um, like worldwide, which is, <laughs> I never thought that, uh, you know, in a normal year, I, I think it's safe to say that wouldn't be the case, but uh, here we are (laughs) in this weird, weird year. Um, And then also, Charmeen Abad Chinoy, who is a, actually a two-time Oscar winner for the documentary short film category, is directing, and uh, Mira Menon, who has previously actually worked with Marvel before by writing episodes of The Punisher, is also going to be directing this show. So, um, for those who maybe don't know anything at all about Ms. Marvel because she hasn't appeared in the movies yet, um, it's about uh, Kamala Khan, who is a Pakistani American and uh, Marvel's first Muslim superhero to get her own comic title. And the show was announced at D23 last year. Um, There are, you know, Rumors still swirling about you know who might be cast and all that kind of stuff. They're they're still in the casting process, but um, they haven't uh, they haven't locked it down a, a lead yet. So um, we expect to hear more about this very soon. Um, the timetable in terms of like when exactly the show is going to air or shoot or you know how it's going to connect to other things is still you know we're still too far out to know about that. But um, it's cool that I, I think that um, Marvel and, and Disney are are tapping these like relatively. You know they're, these people are not household names, Um, but I, I think it, you know some of this. Will, anyway, will add a little bit of an air of uh, of authenticity to this character that means a lot to a lot of people.
1: Yeah, it's also interesting that they have like a bunch of different directors here. Where I think their first what three series are directed by one one person each, right? Is, is that correct? I think Matt Shankman or Shackman is WandaVision uh who is um Loki I don't have that on top of my head <sighs> yeah uh, I,
0: I don't remember the name but I think I think you're right on that and Falcon and Winter Soldier had um one of the behind yes yeah so yeah that one... so... yeah yeah I think that's true and uh, so I guess it's it's sort of like the uh, the Mandalorian approach a little bit right like spreading the love a little bit um you know from episode to episode
1: yeah I wonder what the what the with the idea behind the change of that if if today was normal times there would be a black widow junket where i could ask kevin feige this question but it's probably not going to happen right like uh, kevin feige's not going to zoom me at home is he right i don't know (laughs) okay uh let's talk about another one let's talk about she hulk they have finally found uh, an actress to play the she hulk tell us about it
0: yeah, Tatiana Maslany, who is probably still best known for her work playing multiple roles on uh, *Orphan Black*, is uh, is going to be playing the lead character in *She-Hulk*. Um, which, in, in the comics, She-Hulk is Jennifer Walters, who is a lawyer. And we talked a little bit about this on a previous episode, where she <laughs> is sort of a you know a jacked up, full on Hulk, but actually. You know, doing uh, Hulk stuff in a courtroom and and practicing (laughs) law actively and all of that. So um, I think she's uh, she's Bruce Banner's cousin in in some versions of the the the, uh, mythos or mythology or what have you, the lore of Marvel. So uh, it's unclear if they're actually going to you know retain that specific thing for this show, but. Tatiana Maslany is really great. I, I I mean, I I loved her in, um, God, what was the name of that movie with Nicole Kidman that just came out the last year that I am totally blanking on and I'm not. Uh, hang on one second. I'm, I
1: totally know the I, I totally know the movie, but I did not see it, so I don't even remember the name yes, of
0: it. Yes, I really liked it. Why am I totally blanking on this? Nicole Kidman, for God's sake, IMDb, pull this up. Is please. it The, the Destroyer? Yes, Destroyer. Thank you. Oh wow, yeah, I can't believe it took <laughs> me that long to get there. That was a 2018 movie. Oh man, wow. time time is uh, is insane, guys. But um, yes, uh, Tatiana Maslany was was really good in a very small role in Destroyer, which I think is a, a movie that not enough people have seen, and um, I, I encourage everybody to check that one out because there's there's a lot to like about that film in particular. But she's she's great. She's like a big, um, you know, she's really funny. She's been on Parks and Rec and doing guest stints here and there. Um, and she's just one of those like all around great performers. So I'm, I'm glad to see her, uh, I guess, join the Marvel family.
1: Yeah. She's also in that HBO Perry Mason, which I have not seen. Um, I don't know much about She-Hulk, but last time we learned that like, she's always the Hulk all the time, right? Like she doesn't become human. Like she doesn't have that Bruce Banner, the Hulk transition. Does, does she like get anger fits like the Hulk or is she always kind of like, is she more like smart Hulk or she's level headed all the time?
0: I don't know. I think I saw Alan Seppenwall who's like a, a really famous uh, TV critic. I think he writes for Rolling Stone right now. I think he mentioned like that maybe um, she is going to be transitioning between like I guess a, a traditional human form and uh, more of the the Hulk version. so oh. I, I don't know where he got that from. I'm not sure if he's basing that on like a particular comic run that is being used as inspiration here. Um, but I, I guess, and again, you know, this is the type of show that's like still a little bit too far out for us to know in terms of scheduling and all that. And I think, I, yeah, we, we don't have enough, uh, concrete facts right now to, to really, um, say either way, but yeah, uh, so like, I, I did see that being floated as, as a possibility.
2: Yeah. Cause obviously she has to become She-Hulk and then, uh, according to her Wikipedia, um, Unlike Bruce Banner, she still largely retains her personality. In particular, she retains the majority of her intelligence and emotional control, although like the Hulk, she is still susceptible to outbursts of temper and becomes much stronger if enraged. And then hmm. later, she in the comics is when her transformation is permanent, like uh, Smart Hulk.
1: Hmm. See, I, the reason why I was asking this is because the actress, if you've ever seen Orphan Black, like, she is kind of a chameleon of sorts. Like, she... I, I don't remember how many different roles she plays in that because, like, uh, I mean, spoiler alert, the, the whole premise of the show is that she plays a bunch of different clones, different characters. Um, And I could totally see her getting chosen for this if she had to, like, you know, have to portray, like, almost two different characters. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. yeah, like I feel like that would be like the reason to choose her. Not not that she, there isn't other reasons to choose her, but like I feel like that like that would be the obvious reason of like sh- she's so good at like just taking on different characters and not just taking on different characters, but like, you know, going back and forth like in, in you know, an instant mm-hmm. uh, between them. So, yeah, uh, I'm excited about this. Um, yeah, the
0: show's supposed to come out in 2022. So we still have a little while uh, to yeah. go before that one hits.
1: You know, while Marvel is like figuring out everything they're doing with the future of Marvel Cinematic Universe on Disney Plus, uh, you know, I guess now would be a good time to check in and see how Warner Brothers is doing with their DC Universe streaming service. Uh,
2: Brad, like how how is it doing? Oh, this is fine. Nothing to see here. Everything is fine. <laughs> OK, <laughs> um, no, not at all. So ever since HBO Max launched, uh, a lot of the DC Comics properties that Warner Brothers owns in film and television have been available uh, on that streaming service. And that was one of the big draws of the original DC Universe subscription was it had a collection of uh, DC Comics movies, their animated TV shows, their uh, big series of animated movies. And all that sort of stuff, along with a comic book subscription. Uh, um, but now, because HBO Max is so popular and some of stuff like Doom Patrol and Harley Quinn uh, for the third season of the series um, are transferring to HBO Max, that makes DC Universe a little less special. And uh, they're very much aware of this uh, over at Warner Media. So DC Universe um, will now go under the, the banner DC Universe Infinite. And it will go back to being solely a comic book subscription service, Um, not unlike Marvel Unlimited, another comic book uh, service for Marvel Comics. And this means that all of the originals that were stationed at DC Universe, uh, including Titans, Harley Quinn, Doom Patrol, um, Stargirl, even though that also aired on the CW for its first season, and Young Justice, will all be heading over to HBO Max uh, from um, the time that DC Universe Infinite launches. So, fans of DC Universe currently, you'll still be able to enjoy uh, all of the things from the original subscription um, until roughly January 21st. That's when DC Universe Infinite will be launching. Um, but the good news is, is if you are already a DC Universe subscriber, you can sign up or upgrade to HBO Max for a little bit of a discount, and uh, you'll still get, you'll get both HBO Max and DC Universe Infinite for a price that is less than they both would be if you were paying for them uh individually. So yeah. uh that's kind of cool. But yeah, DC Universe definitely uh undergoing some big changes here in the, the next few months.
1: I feel like this comes as a surprise to no one. When HBO Max was first announced, we all pretty much assumed that this is going to you know merge together. I guess I guess the only surprise here is that they're actually they have this comic book subscription service now which uh, was kind of poor when I tried it out when DC Universe started. So hopefully hopefully they can get it to the level of the, the Marvel Comics one because uh, th- that is a pretty cool service to have.
2: So one improvement that I, I heard about, and I didn't know about this because I'm not a DC Universe subscriber, but apparently the current DC Universe subscribers' um, access to comics, the uh, recently released comics were only made available a year after they were released on, on shelves and whatnot for the first time. Uh, or even digitally but the um, under DC Universe Infinite recently released comics will be available six months after they are first made available so um, that that's an improvement there and then apparently there will also be some exclusive comics that you'll only be able to get through DC Universe Infinite
1: yeah we'll see how long that lasts (laughs) uh you know we were supposed to have a new saw film by now right like the original release of the date of this new saw film i think was sometime during the pandemic and when this was first announced uh and we learned that chris rock was involved i think on the, even on this podcast we were like wh- how does this happen how did like how did he become involved in the saw franchise and uh n- now we know the story ben tell us about it
0: yeah, this is wild. Um, so Chris Rock is going to star in Spiral from the Book of Saw, which is the upcoming Saw movie, and he also is is responsible for um, like creating the story for this thing too. So that that's a big part of why we were so confused in this. If he just had been cast in the role, that might, that might have been one thing. But the fact that this whole new sequel new reboot of the franchise sort of originated with chris rock we were like what is the story behind this and strangely it involves (laughs) tyler perry in some way so the hollywood reporter has this this profile of chris rock they published this off uh, last week and um there's kind of an amazing story in here about how uh, when chris rock made a comedy called top five back in 2014 there's a scene in that movie where he's playing like a version of himself basically or, or like a uh not really a version of himself, but a, a giant comedy star who wants to be taken seriously. And there's this moment in the movie where uh, his character is walking by a theater and he he sees that there are huge lines for a made-up Tyler Perry movie called Boo. Uh, and somebody from Lionsgate saw this and suggested to Tyler Perry that he actually make a movie called Boo. And then Tyler Perry actually <laughs> did that. And then not only that, they actually used... So there was a sequel to Boo as well. So there are two Boo movies, not like real movies, out in ben, the universe ben, now.
1: You're you're making this up. This is not. not
0: i The craziest part to me, Peter, is that uh, the the two real Boo movies actually used the fake art from the version that was created in this Chris, uh, Chris Rock film, which is like totally insane to me. So the how this whole thing ties back into the Saw universe is because uh, Chris Rock ran into the head of Lionsgate after this whole thing happened and basically sort of like was joking with him about like how, how come he's not getting paid for these boom movies because he like sparked the idea for the whole thing. And then, um, you know, once the the sort of joshing around was over uh, Chris Rock, like genuinely just said like, Hey, I love the Saw franchise. You guys should make the next one in the style of uh, Eddie Murphy's uh, comedy, 48 hours. And then like a few weeks later, they called him and they were like, you know what? Do that. Like, go ahead. What, what's your idea? Let's, let's get this thing rolling. So what a <laughs> weird, like circuitous, bizarre thing that involves two Tyler Perry movies that arguably shouldn't exist, but, but were sparked by a, a fake movie. I mean, it's just kind of one of those crazy, like only in Hollywood kind of stories. Yeah. W- when is spiral
1: coming out now? Do we know?
0: I don't know if we know. I mean, I think it was one of those that had been uh yeah like you said sort of scheduled to come out at some point this year and now um you know things are are sort of still up in the air because of the pandemic so i'm not sure if if lionsgate wants to hang on to this one for um for you know theaters thinking that like the saw franchise is big enough that people will want to come out to that or if it's going to be one of those things where like surprise next month in october they drop it on you know premium vod or something like that so it is
2: currently uh, slated to be released on may 21st 2021
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, so it's not even – I guess they must have moved it back then. But um, all right. Well, yeah. Next summer, uh, <laughs> get ready to open the book, uh, the, <laughs> the Spiral from the Book of Saw. <laughs>
1: what a weird yeah. title. Yeah, it was originally supposed to come out May fifteenth, 2020. So it, by, by now it would probably already be on VOD in, in yeah. home video, right? Uh, it's interesting too. Like searching for the movie Spiral is not. It's not something easy to do on google <laughs> try to search spiral and, and get get a results. okay anyways um uh, let's move on let's talk about a couple trailers that hit this past week uh the first of which hit this weekend during the emmys the trailer for wandavision um you know i, I want to get your you guys' thoughts on this trailer first and then uh i know brad did this breakdown for the site and there's some interesting things to unpack here that people might have missed so we want to talk about that so if you want to go if you want to pause this podcast and go watch the WandaVision trailer, we will link that in the show notes for you to go check out. Uh, I'll give you my thoughts right now. Uh, I don't understand what is going on here. I don't understand what I watched, but I, uh, I am, I'm fascinated. To, I, 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 I'm I, so pumped to learn what, what this is and what is going on here. So that, that, that is my thoughts on the WandaVision trailer. Ben, how about you?
0: Well, you got to love anything that puts uh, Catherine Hahn in a witch costume. I'll say that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot. Of, I, I'm a little less enthusiastic, but still intrigued. I think um, one of the big complaints that has been uh, lobbed at Marvel over the past decade is how samey a lot of their stuff looks. And one thing you can say for sure about one WandaVision is that it it looks nothing like any of the other Marvel stuff. I mean, they they are doing this whole nineteen fifties sitcom kind of thing. There's like weird, uh alternate reality vibes going on where it, it looks like they're they're trapped inside of a an episode of full house or something at at certain points, like nineties sitcoms. There's like X-Files looking, you know, government (laughs) agents running around and helicopters flying. I mean, it's like a a clash of styles that is unlike anything that we've seen in MCU so far. So in terms of just, um, you know, them taking chances and doing something different, I appreciate it on that level. I'm not completely sold on the story yet, because I think the movies did sort of a bad job of um, building this relationship between the characters of Wanda and Vision. It's it's sort of yada yada a lot of the stuff that that I want to see in, in a cinematic relationship. And, and it's just sort of like expected you to jump forward and care about these characters just because you're supposed to, because the narrative demands it, not because they actually did the work to, to justify that relationship. But um, I, I am open to being impressed by the show and it, it's certainly an impressive trailer. And, and like I said, the, I think the biggest thing is just like the stylistic, um, uh, diversions that they're taking here is is what stuck out to me most but uh, I'm curious what you think Brad
2: yeah I think this uh, trailer is really cool and I'm fascinated to see what it means for the MCU at large and also Wanda as a character um, because it's you know, like you guys said this, this is very weird and um, basically
1: by, by the way Brad I, I have to interrupt you here just to say this observation how weird it is it that the weirdest thing about this trailer is not that it's a show about a mutant robot love story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude, like, like, that's not even close to the, like, that's, that's not even, like, the top half of weirdness about the show.
2: Yeah. Um, but it's, I think it's really, once you, like, take a closer look at it, it's it's you can kind of break down what the likely basic story of it is, because uh, obviously we all know Vision is dead at least for the time being who knows when it comes to comic book characters but um my best bet as far as what's happening is i as i i'm betting that scarlet witch is having some kind of mental breakdown and maybe her powers are out of control and they're trying to there's a, a some kind of government entity that's trying to keep her calm and distracted so that she doesn't do something that uh, warps reality or does damage to where she is. Because from what I can tell, it seems like she's actually inside some kind of subdivision or, or neighborhood. And I think that the these these characters out, outside of Vision and Wanda are people that are trying to help keep her subdued or something. And then they're doing that by creating this world in which where Vision is alive and they're a happy family. And they're doing that by going through the, these various sitcom style stereotypes from the night there there's one for the 1950s there's one for the 60s the 70s and 80s and there might even be one for more modern day too because there are shots after it, it expands from the 1950s aspect ratio and old tv style where it's just uh, it looks like they're a normal widescreen aspect ratio where you see vision walking around the subdivision uh, and that's where he encounters Catherine Hahn in this this witch costume and he does this he He's seems to be curious about what's going on, and I, I'm I don't know if like this is just the vision. I, I assume this is just the vision that's probably alive, quote unquote, inside uh, Scarlet Witch's head because he he touches his hand to Catherine Hans' head, um, and she immediately said, asks if she's dead, and Vision is like, no, why would you think that? And then she says because you are, and then she starts laughing maniacally. Um, so yeah, I. I with the shots at the end, the, um, it's the shots at the end that really helped me figure out like what's going on here. Because there's a shot of a of a woman's body being thrown at great length across this like open field. And if you look at the beginning of the shot, she's flying away from this su- neighborhood subdivision. And then when the next shot we see after that is her coming out of this like weird portal where uh, the like kind of like the the way she emerges out of it it looks like. Uh, like a television warp style portal. And yeah. when she lands, you see that the character is Teona Paris as uh, Monica Rambo, who is the grown- up version of um, Maria Rambo's kid from Captain Marvel. And I'm guessing because because she's <laughs> she's dressed in this um period clothing to maybe fit in with the, the whatever visions um no pun intended that Scarlet Witch is having. And then I'm guessing that she figures it out and throws her out of the of the neighborhood. Um, but yeah, and the and the reason that like this this makes more sense is because there's a very subtle reference that you'll miss if you're not paying attention. Where there's a shot of Scarlet Witch using her telekinetic abilities to pour wine at their dinner table in uh, one of the early black and white scenes. And if you look at the wine bottle, um, and I'm terrible with French, so just bear with me. It says Maison du Mépris. And if you translate that, it means House of Contempt. But if you look at the label on it, there's a big label that says M uh, above it on the neck of the bottle. And House of M is a key comic book arc in Marvel Comics where Scarlet Witch has suffered a mental breakdown and tried to alter the fabric of reality to recreate the children that she lost. And so it's Scarlet Witch at her most powerful, her most unstable uh, and she's really deadly. And so that storyline involves a lot of X-Men characters. So um, I wouldn't anticipate those characters being introduced here. But I think the basic premise of trying to stop Scarlet Witch from really like unleashing her power and wreaking havoc um, on this neighborhood, where, wherever they are, is probably going to be at the center of the story.
1: I mean, that, that, that's some good prediction. So you're basically saying this is Marvel's version of Truman Show.
2: Um. Yeah. In in some ways, and I wouldn't be surprised if maybe at some point, probably towards the end of the series, that we see maybe Doctor Strange is has been helping out, or like they they maybe they call him for for help, like in the finale, because this show is apparently supposed to directly tie into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness in some capacity.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe this is a Multiverse,
2: Brad. It's it's possible. I don't know.
1: Okay, let's talk about another one. This one broke uh a week ago. This is the Mandalorian season 2 trailer. Uh I actually did a a reaction. Like you can actually see my first reaction of this trailer. Uh, I, I recorded a video on Ordinary Adventures. Uh and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um I'll I'll say kind of what I said there. Uh You know what? This is exciting. I you know, I I love the Mandalorian. I'm, I'm excited for season 2. This trailer gets me excited, but it doesn't show much at all. It doesn't reveal much at all. It it kind of like leaves you wanting more, which I guess is a good thing. If you want like a teaser trailer, you want something to like, get you to watch the show and you know most modern trailers probably reveal too much uh my favorite moments of this are the scout trooper on the speeder bike jumping over the hill like i love the scout troopers and that just like seemed like an epic uh moment and the uh of course the baby yoda moment where he shuts his uh his prim it's just it's uh, brilliant and so funny uh ben i know you're not a huge fan of the mandalorian season one but what did you think of the trailer for season two?
0: Um, sort of the same kind of thing that I, same feelings I have toward the the show as a whole, like visually impressive, but not really enough there to, to as like a, a loose star Wars fan to really like hook me in. I, I did think I, I liked that same shot you were talking about, Peter, but the, um, the scout troopers, like I thought the action in this trailer looked, uh, I don't know, maybe a step up from what we saw in season one. So maybe, um it will have that to to offer to people but uh in terms of like the oh he's gotta take baby yoda to the jedi and like he doesn't want to and all that kind of stuff i'm just sort of like i uh, okay I, i could take it or leave it in terms of like the narrative of the season but um what did you think brad
2: uh yeah i dig this trailer it's you know um i'm glad it's kind of keeping the mystery uh giving us a vague idea of where the story is heading um and uh, as we recently posted about, it seems like there might be a hint as to one of the major things that fans are excited to see how it will. Uh...
1: Wait, wait, before you say this, yeah. some people are very, like, worried about spoilers and stuff. And even though this is speculation, you know, it it is in a trailer that's been released as marketing. So if you guys want to tune out now to Brad's speculation, you've, you've been warned. OK, Brad, go ahead.
2: Right. So as we have heard, uh, Tamura Morrison uh, is returning um, to the Star Wars universe in The Mandalorian Season 2. And it has been reported that he will be uh, playing the role of Boba Fett for the first time. He's previously played uh, Jango Fett. And that's the clone that Boba Fett um, was was made from, just not turned into an adult soldier. So it would stand to re- reason that if he's coming back, he's likely playing uh, Boba Fett or a clone trooper that maybe is still still alive. One or both is, is possible. But we also have our own information that confirms that at least the armor of Boba Fett will be involved in the second season of The Mandalorian. Uh, and that involves Timothy Oliphant's character, who many us assumed is a character named Cobb Vanth from the Star Wars Aftermath book series. Uh, we won't get too much into the details of that, but apparently when he first appears in the second season of The Mandalorian, he's wearing Boba Fett's armor. And evidence of this armor being in the second season seems to have been spotted in one of the quick shots in the season two trailer. And it's the quick shot where you see um, the Mandalorian on a speeder bike speeding away from the camera uh, into um, these the mountains. And if you look closely at what is on the back of the speeder bike, uh, it there's a good case to be made that one of the things <laughs> on the back of the speeder bike is likely the jetpack that belongs. To Boba Fett uh, it doesn't have the top part which is the projectile missile that shoots out of the top but the rest of it the paint job the shape does seem to pretty closely align with what Boba Fett's jetpack looks like and if you go to the um to slash film and see this article you also see that um, they think that maybe the helmet is also spotted hanging off the the right side of the speeder bike I'm not totally sold on that part of the image but the jetpack seems like a pretty dead-on prediction so uh as for uh how this um You know, comes to be what you know whether or not uh Mando has beef with Cobb Vance because he thinks that he stole a Mandalorian's armor, whether Mando knows who Boba Fett is, whether Boba Fett is still alive and maybe looking for his armor, walking around Tatooine naked somewhere. Uh, (laughs) we we don't know all this yet, but it does appear that at least part of Boba Fett will be um in the Mandalorian season two. I, I will say this like, I saw
1: videos popping up in my YouTube feed. The day that the Mandalorian trailer was released online, like claiming, oh, is Boba Fett hidden in this trailer. And I did not even click on them. I was like, oh, this is clickbait. This is whatever. And then when you put together this article, Brad, I like looked at the comparison images. And I was like, I don't know me. And then like I started convincing myself that it is it's at least the jetpack. Ben, have you seen this image? like I, I want to know your analysis of the situation like Our are we analysis. looking are we looking too much into this like do we want boba fett to be in this show and we're like looking for him
0: um uh yes i'm sure yes the answer is yes to that question uh but no i, I actually have i think the same exact thoughts as brad where i think it, it does you know i just glanced at it but it does to me look a lot like the jetpack and i do not think that's actually the helmet even though whoever put, you know put these images together is trying uh valiantly to make that case i'm not i'm not really sold on that but it, it does certainly look like the uh the jetpack to me
1: yeah. The, the other thing I wanted to mention is the character that we see late into this trailer under the hood, uh, which turns out to be Sasha Banks. Some people thought it was Rosario Dawson, the first appearance of Ahsoka in the show, but it's actually Sasha Banks, who is a WWE wrestler. Um, what do we think about this, Brad? Like, I've heard some rumors. A lot of people think that she might be playing Sabine, which, uh, you know, first of all, her wrestling character, she often has like these really bright colored hair which Sabine has bright colored hair in in Star Wars Rebels. Sabine is a Mandalorian. Um, so they're, and not just any Mandalorian, she's a Mandalorian that once held the Darksaber, which is a big part of this, this show. And, you know, the show is about, you know, Mandalorian heritage and stuff like that. So it, I guess it would make sense for Sabine to show up in the show at some point. So do you think Sasha Banks is playing Sabine?
2: I think that's probably just fans projecting like Sasha Banks, style onto a character that exists in star Wars and hoping that that's who she's playing. But I mean, she's, she's cloaked in this trailer and the, when she's, when she appears, it's mentioned when they're talking about taking the child back to the Jedi. So I wonder if this character is some kind of messenger for uh, any Jedi that are still alive, potentially Ahsoka Tano, um, and I, cause I feel like it would be weird if it was Sabine and the our the first time we see this character, she's not, you know, immediately recognizable unless they, they're aiming for it to be a thing of where, Oh, who is this character? And then she, like, at some point she throws on her helmet and everyone's like, Whoa, it's Sabine. <laughs> but it also
1: seems weird that they would give like a character of like, that's such a fan favorite character from the animated series. They would give that to a wrestler who hasn't re- that, you know. <laughs> that much of a track record i mean i guess they gave dave Dave patista drax and you know that worked out great so i mean I'm, I'm not i am not criticizing anybody for giving or you know look at wh- how far the rock has come but it just seems like it, it's a big jump to give her sabine um you know another thing uh, a lot of fans have noticed in this uh, brad i'm not sure if you had this in your breakdown but at one point there's some X-wings uh escorting or following the Razor Crest. Yes. And some people have done some screen caps of that and apparently the the iconography on that X-wing is actually Red Five's X-wing, so they they're saying that's Luke Skywalker's X-wing.
2: That does that track? Because I, I, apparently
1: I don't know I, I don't know we, we got to do some more analysis on, on that but I don't think that's the case I don't think that, like that Luke Skywalker do we do you think we'll ever see Luke Skywalker in the show because which sounds ridiculous that on the on the face of that sounds ridiculous but the show is about Mandalorian trying to get the child back to you know the Jedi and there's literally only one known Jedi in the galaxy at this point like even Ahsoka is not a you know quote-unquote Jedi at this point right yeah
2: I mean I I <laughs> guess not
1: is it ridiculous Brad I don't know you're making me sound ridiculous. I don't think it would be in season two but do you think we'll ever see Luke Skywalker in the show
2: I mean no and like I just I'm, I'm hold up on the x the, the x-wing thing because I mean he you you would think he would hold on to it the entire time because we know that that's the ship that he takes to Octu because he leaves it crashed in the ocean until he r- raises it out of the water uh, as a force ghost for Rey, um, uh, a scene which I hate with so much intensity. Um, but I, yeah, so I feel like for someone to be flying Red 5 would be weird. I mean, it, it's also possible that They just kind of copied the
1: design like it was like not intentional. Yeah. And one
2: and I'm not sure how discernible all the various Rebel Alliance X-Wings are from each other.
1: I don't know, some fans seem to think that it's uh, the Red 5X. Wing. Anyways, I'll send you the images after this podcast, but uh, I'll link them in the show notes. So if people want to check that out, but I, I don't think there's anything to this, I think it's just a coincidence. I hope not, because
2: uh, that's just going to be frustrating to me. i just just get get away from the Skywalker family, guys.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Home Daily. You can find more of our work at slashhome.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at peter.com and rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Wednesday.
3: Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM. Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing if you get a single.